0: This is Success Beyond the Score, giving insights and tips to help you learn how to build your music career from the best in the field by Millicent Stevenson. Millicent is a multi-award winning saxophonist and endorser of Harry Hartman's Fiber Reads. She is currently serving on the Executive Committee of the Musicians' Union. With over 40 years experience in the creative industry, Millicent has honed her performance and business skills. She provides personal development training and coaching via her online platform, SuccessBeyondTheScore.com. Hi, I'm Millicent Stevenson. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of my podcast, success beyond the score. Now, today, my guest is Dan Whitehouse. He is an acclaimed songwriter who has released five solo albums and is currently signed with Reveal Records. He is a tutor and mentor qualified in the Sounds of Intent methodology, and he has extensive experience working directly with musicians or through facilitators like Midlands Arc Center or the Company of Song to create community through music. Today we are going to learn how everything started, how it's going, what he thinks about the importance of going to university in order to become a professional musician, and everything about being signed to a label. Now the interview was recorded through Zoom with me being in the UK and Dan in Japan. That rhymes. So you might perceive a slight change of audio quality between the introduction and the show. But don't worry about it, because the content quality is constantly excellent. Without further ado, let's welcome Dan Whitehouse. Right, Dan, thank you so much for coming across to um, to talk with me today um, about what you do in music. And the first thing I want to say before we even get anywhere is right now you're in Japan. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I'd, I'd love to, to sort of weave that in as we are talking for people to understand what it's like in Japan. And I know, obviously, you went there just before lockdown, and we're going to have all these questions about COVID. So just bring that in, because I think that's really interesting to see that other side of a, of a musician. And uh, yeah, personal reasons don't have to be mentioned. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we, it'd be interesting to know how you're still managing your music uh, from a distance. So that will weave in as we go through. So I, I know you because obviously we, we work on the, in Musicians' Union and I've attended a couple of your uh, songwriting uh, uh, courses as well in the past. But my listeners don't know who you are. So how would you describe your music career and who you are now?
1: Well, thanks very much for inviting me to talk with you, Millicent. Yeah. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk with you and I'm pleased to be a guest today. I split my time between community music and commercial work. Mm -hmm. And I have done, since I graduated uh, with a a commercial music degree in 2003 from Westminster University. Mm. So coming up to 20 years now, I guess, I do a lot of community music. So using music in a therapeutic way with uh, vulnerable groups, be that sort of intergenerational projects like linking up teenage groups, With elderly people or working with children and adults with additional needs. I studied at Roehampton University doing a postgraduate certificate called Sounds of Intent. It's a course developed by a really interesting man called Adam Ockleford and uh, he's written this sort of program to chart how music can aid the development of humans and particularly people with additional needs and um, I use that in the work that I do with I've done lots of work with a program called Mac Makes Music through the Mac Art Center. And uh, I teach on the songwriting degree at BIM University, which is online at the moment. And then with my commercial work, um, I'm signed with Reveal Records and with label mates, so Jonas Policewoman, Eddie Reader, Lau, Boo Dean, uh, The Little Unsaid that's an excellent creative community to be involved with and, um, allows me a lot of room for collaboration. And, um, I've put two records out on that label and lots of EPs. And, um, I find that, you know, the one, the sort of commercial work fuels the community work. Mm-hmm. Uh, one fuels the other, you know, um, I get a lot of inspiration from uh, the people that I meet through the community work. And, um, you know, I feed my own creative desires through through all the songs that I write and the, the records that I release and so forth.
0: You sound like a really busy person, Dan. Honestly, <laughs> like keeping up with everything you do is phenomenal. I mean, um, years ago I used to work um, in education and training, and I was involved with the deaf community. And um, I was also used to observe tutors and there was one chap who was teaching people with additional needs. And I find it really fascinating the way he did that. So what has been your passion or driver for working with people with additional needs and connecting it with music?
1: Just that we're, we're all equal and we're all interconnected and um, music is a uh, great communicator You know, that's enough, really. Um, I love the work I do as well with songwriting workshops. Uh, At the moment I'm doing them with a wonderful person called Katie Whitehouse, who has this company called Company of Song. Mm -hmm. She's helping me to organize and manage songwriting workshops online for uh, emerging artists or non-musicians, but people that sing and have ideas. I I just believe that um, everybody has great creative ideas. It's just that only some of us have the confidence to write them down. Yeah. Um, and so in that way, music can be a great leveller and a great communicator, you know. Mm-hmm. The people in the world, you know, I've worked with people that are unable to speak, but they can speak through their music.
0: So do you find that from a teaching point of view, the skills you use with someone who can write and can speak or it is different to working with someone who has a disability or some? area of their their body or their senses that are not functioning in the same way as other people?
1: I take an inclusive approach. So I'm led by the participant. Yeah. I will adapt what I do entirely to their needs as best I can.
0: Wow. Wow. That's 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 fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So I know you mentioned that you've done a degree, but um what's been your journey into music? You know what sort of piqued your interest? Um, was music a thing when you were at school or was it just something that happened after school? Well, yeah, what's kind of your, your thing into music?
1: I saw Chuck Berry um, <laughs> play at Wolverhampton Civic Hall in 1989 and I was 10 years old and he was 66 years old okay. and he was on fire. He was like scissor kicking, jumping around the stage. I couldn't believe the energy. It just it just lit something up inside and it the flame's still burning. Wow. Like. 30 years later yeah it was an incredible night and I, my parents took me there and my father was a radio broadcaster radio DJ mm-hmm. so the house was full of vinyl music was just on it uh, really loud every morning with him shouting dancing along <laughs> my parents knew how to dance and drink and have a good time and enjoy music we used to go to a lot of concerts we lived walking distance from the Civic Hall
0: oh okay okay
1: and I as soon as I was old, old enough, I got a job there. I, I worked as security, I worked at the bar, I cleaned the floors, I did the tickets, anything to get backstage to see all the concerts. I saw everybody play there. It was the 90s when everyone was... I didn't realise at the time, but, um, you know, I had a fantastic... One of the UK's best venues right on my doorstep, and I, I was exposed to a lot of live music through there, and I really got some great memories of the people that I saw. I remember meeting Jules Holland, and yeah. I remember seeing Primal Scream and just not being able to distinguish what was making each of the sounds, but just loving the sort of intense immersion of it all. Yeah. And um, yes, yeah, so live music, I think, got me into it.
0: OK, so you've got that experience, your parents, your home, Chockberry live experience. So did you do the degree straight after school or did you do anything else before sort of thinking, OK, I want a degree and I want to have a, a career in music?
1: I never thought that I wanted to have a degree. I just wanted access to the studios and to be able to be (laughs) in a band and play songs every day. Um, I I had 17 years, I left school at 16 and went and studied music as a BTEC at Warsaw art college. And then I did loads of auditions. This was back in the days when you could get read the ads in the back of the Melody Maker and NME Mm -hmm. and I auditioned and got in a band of a fantastic singer called Naomi. Who was based in Leamington Spa and she was signed with Gut Records, who were having a successful time with um, Space and with Tom Jones's reload album. Okay. And so they had they funded Naomi's album and we went to London for two months to live to record at the Battery Studios, and we did loads of touring. We did a tour supporting Richie Sambara from Bon Jovi, and this was like a sort of rock and roll baptism of fire, if you like. Mm. Um, that set me on the path did that for about three or four years um when that project finished that was when I went and studied in London but the studying was wasn't really the aim to be honest it was more like the sort of writing and listening and drinking and that was the main <laughs> target
0: typical student life then <laughs> yeah. okay so listen you you've mentioned that you're signed to a label And one of my previous guests, he was also signed to a label and he talked about the highs and the lows of being signed to a label. But um, the industry's changed, you know, because once upon a time, it was really important to be signed to a label to get anywhere in music. Now you can DIY. So why did you decide to be signed to a label rather than do it yourself?
1: I just really like this particular label, Reveal Records. Mm -hmm. And... um, I have a good creative relationship with the MD Tom Rose. Yeah. To the point where he produced uh, my last double album, Dreamland Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So he has a beautiful creative vision that I've enjoyed um, working with and working under. So I think that you're right that the industry has changed and people are have a lot more liberty now to to do as they please and to carve out the career that they want. Mm. Um. I'm, I'm still in love with the album format um, in terms of pieces of art. I have a desire to make, to write and produce albums. And I'm happy to have found a place to present them to the world through in, in Reveal Records. You know, it's, mm. I like a lot of the other records that he puts out. Mm. And um, I think it gives people a good sort of window, a kind of a way of presenting it
0: mm. the
1: music, the songs
0: so are there any sort of tips you'd give anyone who wanted to be signed with a label based on your experience of how you got signed
1: i think research and buying and loving and consuming the records that you love you know i think a label is really good if you're if what you're doing is quite niche um, and it can be well supported in that way Mm. so i think half of the battle is working out which label is appropriate for you and which you want to be signed to Mm -hmm. I think it could be a bad situation if you sign to the wrong one so a lot of networking and going to shows and meeting the people sort of behind the websites you know me actually doing the human touch of talking to people and the label's run by Tom Rose and um, we were in contact for about seven years before I signed to the label he was uh, booking me for some shows and stuff Mm -hmm. Um, we were in contact but yeah, you have to do things at the right time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, in terms of the right time, would you say that there's certain things you have to have in place that would make you attractive for a label?
1: Well, it depends on the label. I mean, with Reveal Records and Tom Rose, you know, he's very much an artist himself, a creative person. And we had to wait for the time where, first of all, he heard something that in the music I was making that he wanted to release. Mm. And then he could see, uh, he had some creative ideas of people I could co-write. Like the first record I put out, remember him saying, you know, it's really missing a story song. And he kindly set up a co-write session with a fantastic writer called Buhi Rudin. And we wrote a story song about a Syrian refugee called Hani, Mm. who um, has this debilitating eye condition where he can't see further than sort of 10 centimetres in front of his face. Wow. But he really gets into photography and his photos are brilliant and they got circulated around international media. Mm. Um, you could say that the camera lens kind of snapped his world into focus. Um, so much so that his family got pulled out of the camp in Lebanon and were offered sanctuary in Canada. Wow. And they, the Canadian authorities thought they could save his eyesight uh, with the technology, which sadly they couldn't, so it's this sort of bittersweet story where, you know, he made the ultimate sacrifice, but his family were all rehoused and had a, a new chapter, a new life. And be, with you know, Tom introduced me to Hughie Dean, and together we wrote a song called "Close Up." For me, that's the benefit of being signed to Reveal Records and being in, involved in a creative community, being having the opportunity to realise ideas for mm. ideas to become reality. I did three albums before on my own. Right. You know, I think I worked away, crafted at what I did, until to, to the point where it was ready to be um, delivered at that level. Ooh. I was ready to step into that other arena, I guess.
0: Yeah, because I think that the, the lot of the research shows that you've got to be at a particular level now for labels to take you on. You know, they're really going to take someone who's straight out of nowhere really you know you've got to have proved yourself for them to take you on now was, the thing that popped into my head earlier on is that you said you know there's some positives for you and that song you know you just describing that song it already made me want to go listen and already made me want to get the hankies ready it just sounds like a real tearjerker <laughs> you know very emotional but um is there anything you'd say about being signed to a label that doesn't really work I mean, once upon a time, you and I was having a conversation about your name and how that how the label sees your name in terms of if you wanted to do something outside of the label. Are you still Dan Whitehouse or you're not Dan Whitehouse? There's something you, you'd probably have to explain that better. You
1: cool? Sure. I don't remember the context of that conversation, but I mean, the label have first dibs on any songs I write and st- music that I release using my name, Dan Whitehouse, would you know, be agreed with them and there be a schedule. Yeah. Not least because um, my music appeals to a very small audience, you know, and so we wouldn't want to um, dilute the message, I guess, or that's like a sort of marketing thinking, you know, mm. and I trust their, their judgment on that.
0: Mm. Because you tend to hear that labels um, hold, own you completely. Is that true, that it's like a a 360, so anything you write, if you make anything, they get a percentage of everything you do, as opposed to back in the day when maybe they just own you as a band, but not necessarily your, your songwriting rights. How, how does it work in from your experience and your knowledge of labels in general, not necessarily Reveal, but uh, for labels in general?
1: I mean, there are deals like the ones you describe with major labels and pop acts, I think, mainly. Hmm. Um, but, you know, the type of deal I'm on is it is a licensing deal. Oh,
0: right.
1: So uh, I still do other projects. I'm, I'm working this year on something called Voices from the Cones, which is uh, an Arts Council funded project, a various artists project, lots of different singers involved. And I'm producing the album. Um, that's about the history of glassmaking in Starbridge.
0: Oh, OK.
1: Um, For example, and I still do sessions for other artists playing, you know, lead guitar or Mm -hmm. singing backing vocals or singing lead vocals at times. I did something for David Barron Mm -hmm. recently, a producer in America. I just, you know, we'll we'll discuss album projects together and then I'll license the album to them Mm -hmm. for a set period of time, but it's all through negotiation.
0: Do you want to just say what you mean by a licensing deal? Because people may not know what that means.
1: So you hand the rights of the recording to the record company for a set period, um, you know, five or 10 years or forever, if you want to, you know, they own the master rights to the recording. They are, they can then exploit those rights in any way they see fit. So seeking out, uh, syncs for it so trying to match the music with television film or advertisements
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's separate to the publishing deal I have with Westbury Music and Reveal
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that, that's to do with the rights in the composition the songs
0: that was fantastic I really hope you can pick up various nuggets and apply it to your music to take you to the next level Next time, I'm speaking with Dan for his part two, so remember to tune in. And while you're waiting, why not grab yourself a free copy of my e-book clip called Revealed, 25 Secrets of the Successful Gigging Musician, Singer, Rapper and Spoken Word Artist. You can get that from my website, www.successbeyondthescore.com.